to the podcast for North Decatur Presbyterian Church. We are a PCUSA congregation located in Decatur, Georgia. You can find out more about the church, our service to the community, and our great education programs for children like me and youth and adults at ndpc.org. You can also follow us on Facebook. If you're in the Atlanta area, we hope you'll come join us in person. Okay, that's it. On to this week's scripture and sermon. Our scripture reading on this Easter day is from Matthew's Gospel, the 28th chapter, beginning in the first verse. After the Sabbath, as the first day of the week was dawning, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And suddenly there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descending from heaven came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothes white as snow. For fear of him, the guards shook and became like dead men. The angel said to the women, do not be afraid. I know that you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he has been raised, as he said. Come, see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples he has been raised from the dead, and indeed he is going ahead of you to Galilee. There you will see him. This is my message for you. So the women left the tomb quickly with fear and with great joy and ran to tell his disciples. Suddenly Jesus met them and said, greetings. And they came to him, took hold of his feet and worshiped him. Then Jesus said to them, do not be afraid. Go and tell my friends to go to Galilee. There they will see me. This is the word of God for you, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Well, happy Easter. Christ is risen. I hope and pray that wherever you are on this day, that you are feeling something of the joy of this day. Easter is a day for joy. Our joy in life comes in different ways, and sometimes it comes in small bursts. Joy can be a donut. Joy can be a joke. There was a peony, a flower in our garden that erupted from bud to flower this week in a matter of hours. It will be gone by next week, but the joy that it brings is intense. Other kinds of joy in our lives take a bit longer. Some of you are familiar with the joy of retirement, the joy of watching children grow up into adults. The joy of seeing the moral arc of the universe bend finally toward righteousness. In the same garden that the peony is in, there is a tree that's taken 30 to 40 years to get to where it is. Now it 
shades the whole yard in the summer and birds nest in its branches. It's always the last tree in the whole neighborhood to get its leaves. So we wait and we wait and then the canopy unfolds. Some kinds of joy take a bit longer. Easter has both kinds of joy. In Matthew's Gospel, Easter is action-packed and intense. It reads almost like a comic book. There's bang and pow and wham. There are earthquakes and angels and soldiers falling out and surprise, an empty tomb and bigger surprise, a risen Christ. The women who take it all in are afraid, but the text says they are filled with great joy. What's not in the story, not directly at least, but is very much in our experience of Easter is the kind of joy that unfolds over time, over many years, over many Easter's. The kind of unfolding joy that I'm talking about is the way that the news of Easter morning changes our relationship to death. I know I'm not supposed to use that word today, death. There's no death on Easter, right? Yes, Easter is a celebration of life. But this day's significance grows very directly out of what precedes it on Thursday and on Friday. Easter is a reckoning with death. And Easter urges us to our own reckoning. So I ask aloud this morning with all of you, how does Easter change our relationship to death? The late poet John O'Donohue begins one of his poems with these disarming words. He says, from the moment you were born, your death has walked beside you. Though it seldom shows its face, you still feel its empty touch when fear invades your life, or what you love is lost, or inner damage is incurred. Death does begin as an ominous and a fearful thing. I remember being four or five playing in the corner at my grandfather's funeral. I dared not go near the coffin. I knew it was a hard day for my dad, but I did not know quite why. I remember too as a child watching children my age on the other side of the earth in Ethiopia die on television from hunger. I learned that death could be intensely cruel. I remember watching the space shuttle explode. Death can take us one at a time, suddenly, sometimes in great numbers. And eventually death comes to take someone whom we love. That pain is like no other kind of pain. When our daughter Margaret was born and she was so frail, there must have been a dozen times in her first year when I understood clearly that death would take her. And though it did not, each time it happened, the threat of that loss would convulse my whole body with grief. And then there is your death. You are dust, and to dust you will return. So will I. Death is in all of our futures. 
when I was in seminary, a wise professor had a class called Death and Dying. Many of us were too young at that time in our lives to have reckoned seriously with death, but we would soon be pastors to those who were. So as our very first assignment in the class, he made us write a death certificate for ourselves, writing down the time and the place and the cause. He then asked us to write our own obituary, what we had done and what we had left undone. In small groups, we then laid down on a hard floor in a dark, empty room and listened as a classmate read our obituary out loud and spoke to us the final words of the funeral commendation. Into your hands, O God, we commend to you our beloved son, David, a sheep of your own fold, a lamb of your own flock, a child of your own redeeming. I do think that I met death on that day and we began to get acquainted. We must meet our death, ideally, as the poet O'Donohue writes, you will quietly befriend your death so that you will have no need to fear when your time comes to turn and leave. Now for some of you, I know this idea of befriending your own death will be new. But for others of you who are with us today, this is old news. You did this long ago. Some of you have been friends with death for so long, you're frankly wondering why it's taking your friend so long to come and get you and lead you into the promised land. One of our elders not too long ago was asked if she was afraid of this virus. And she said something like, listen, something's gonna get me. I'm not gonna be here forever. It could be this but I hope it's not. If thinking about your death or the death of those that you love makes you uncomfortable, you're not wrong. Part of our tradition, our Christian tradition says that death is an enemy to be defeated. Death takes something real that we love and refuses to give it back. The apostle Paul treats death as one of the powers and the principalities of the world that God defeats through Christ's resurrection. But as with most of Paul's teaching, I suggest you receive this wisdom with a bit of wariness. Paul implies that death is an enemy for those who die with unreconciled guilt. But Paul's teaching about death can also be misleading. If death remains always and only your enemy, something to be resisted and feared, it will in fact corrupt the way that you live your life. It doesn't take much to look around us at the world and see how the fear and denial of death leads people that we know and love to all kinds of unholy ways of prolonging existence. And prolonging existence is not living. If death is an enemy, treat it as Christ does with all enemies. Love it. Enemy love transforms every one of those relationships. Enemy love unmasks the lies that we tell to fuel the enmity. You and I will die exactly the way that we live. 
And if we live with death as an enemy whom we have never met or befriended, the closer it gets to us, the more painful your experience will be. A truer and more sturdy appraisal of death will show us that death is a wise teacher, even a gift giver. Our biblical tradition as a whole says that death is a part of our good creation. Every creature is given by God a measured number of days. The grass withers and the flower fades. This is not God's cruelty. Instead, the fact of death is what makes each life precious. Because you die and I die, we know that we have just so many days on this earth to become the uniquely embodied souls whom we are meant to become. Befriending our death and receiving its boundary as a gift leads to the best kinds of life, a life that is free and generous, one in which you spend your sacred time doing what matters most, loving and serving others, accumulating not things but friends, the kinds of friends who will surround you when it is your time to go and give thanks to God for your life. If you follow Jesus, Jesus will show you the path to this life. Jesus says paradoxically that our life is marked by the daily practice of dying. Take up your cross, he says to us, and follow. Die to the things in life that do not matter, he says to us. Do not worry. Do not be anxious. Do not be afraid. Die to selfishness and to judging others. Let an awareness of your death be inside you and let this serene awareness lead you to live as one who is unafraid to be true and beautiful and good. This kind of wisdom, this kind of deep wisdom about death does not come suddenly to us on Easter morning. It comes over many years and many Easter's. Our death is not an enemy, not something only to suffer or to endure. Death is a companion, and with Christ as our guide, death can be something that we choose. Christ opens the way through death. Choose this way, he says, because this way leads to love, and it leads to life. Now, I, I feel like I need to be clear. When you follow Christ into death, it does not mean that your death will be easy or pleasant. When Jesus goes to die, he stumbles and struggles. He cries out in anguish, God, why have you forsaken me? Even for Jesus, meeting with death brings a crisis of the soul Jesus looks into the abyss of his own non-being, an abyss that all of us will stare into, and he is afraid. Did I trust God for nothing? Will death keep me forever? Does violence have the upper hand? Does fear have the upper hand? Will death have the final word silencing all of the rest? Jesus cries out in his anguish, but then 
he says, into your hands, O God, I give my spirit. Into whose hands, at the end, will you give your precious and fleeting and beautiful life? If it is God, then it is the same hands that have fashioned the world from chaos. The same hands that will have fashioned you in your mother's womb. And we see on Easter morning that these same hands will deliver Jesus from death and into life. These same hands you are promised will deliver you to life. Now it's fair to wonder if we are delivered finally from death, where are we delivered to? What lies beyond this life? If there is a resurrection as we proclaim on this day, where do we go? Surely it's not in the clouds with the robes and the halos and all of that. As best as I am able to grasp our tradition and what it teaches, when we die, we are delivered by God from this life into the future of this life. We are delivered from here into the yet to come. This is the future of your best and your most luminous dreams. We are delivered from death into God's future. We go from here to that time and place that's so beautifully described in the book of Revelation, a time in which mourning and tears and crying are no more because death is no more. We are delivered into a time in which every power and principality has been defeated by the disarming power of love, a time in which all wrongs are made right and all sins are forgiven. Isaiah called it a new heaven and a new earth, one in which all children grow up free. Everyone enjoys the fruit of their labor and no one is hungry or homeless. No one is lonely and no one is afraid. We will be delivered into a time and place in which the veil of the visible, which obstructs our eyes in this life is lifted and we will look around and see around us all of the saints of God who have gone on before us from every generation. And in that place, we will feel a peace that has been with us in life all along. The peace of knowing that we belong and we are beloved. And in that place, in that time, in God's future, we will gather around a common table and God will break bread with us. We will not know if, if this vision is true until our time comes. But as best as I can tell, when our friend death comes for us, God delivers us into a future that is the fullness of life with God. This future affirms your best and deepest hopes for the flourishing of creation. And what you will also see there, I believe, is that this future of God is one in which you 
will recognize. It will be at least a little bit familiar to you. You will say to yourself, I have seen this before. That's because God's future doesn't simply wait for us beyond death. God's future is always coming, always coming into the present, into the now. It is always breaking into this life and giving us glimpses all around us of this grace and this beauty, even on this side of death. The future to which all of us will one day go is always coming to us, saying, don't wait for death. The kingdom of God is already at hand. This truth, all of these truths about death don't come to us all at once. By the grace of God, they do come. Death has no victory and it has no sting. Death always yields a place to love. We cannot grasp this all at once, but you will see it. And when you do, you will feel a joy inside like no other joy. The slow unfolding of our greatest and deepest and ultimate joy begins with the words that we speak this day. Christ is risen. Alleluia. Amen.